devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Acts chapter 2, 42 to 37. Thanks be to God. Vines want to climb, but to climb, they have to have something to grab. They're happy to climb most anything if it is within reach. Trees, wires, and of course, trellises. The trellis is designed not only to facilitate the growth of the vine, but also to guide it in an ordered direction. Without it, the vine's just going to grow wherever it really wants to grow, in a chaotic, accidental pattern. Of course, if all you have is a trellis and no vine, then you have no life at all. It's all pretty pointless. Colin Marshall and Tony Payne apply this concept to ministry in their book, called The Trellis and the Vine. And kind of their imagination has shaped my own approach to ministry here at RCC. We want our church to grow in every way. And I'd be the first to say that I wish it would happen without any kind of organizing or programming at all. It would just all fall together. But life is complicated, especially modern life. If our lives are like the vines, we grab onto all sorts of things that produce chaotic growth. If the church is to counter that, we need to offer a trellis, a means of producing ordered growth, carrying each other forward in the faith. Now, in the past two years, I've devoted my energy to that project by developing our discipleship process. And I consider this an open-ended project. Things can always be tweaked. But I do believe that we have put together something that can work. Small groups help you learn the essentials of discipleship, developing the character skills and knowledge, the convictions that will emerge when you become a follower of Jesus Christ. They also help you to connect with other brothers and sisters who will encourage you and help you to stay accountable to walking the path of Christ. When we get on our own, we tend to stray. It's kind of like taking a coal out of the fire. The glow slowly goes away. Our Crucial Studies program, which includes Sunday school classes, seminars, and then also the independent learning we offer through 
our book library over there and also the, the media that we have through our Right Now media account. All of this all together helps you grow in your knowledge, getting past just the milk of the faith to the meat. Um, the longer that you're in the church, you should know more. You should know more about God and what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, more than just the first day when you put your faith in Him. This is a good enough trellis for ordered, fruitful growth. But it will all be for nothing if the vines do not latch on. And this reality turns my attention to our foundation, the soil of our discipleship process, the worship in community life that you see there at the bottom. Are we healthy enough here for anything above it to make a difference? Let's compare ourselves to the early church in the days following Pentecost, as we've heard read in Acts 2. You look at verses 42 through 47. Can I put the passage up there so you guys can look at it? Now, apart from the apostles' teaching, the prayer, the miraculous signs that were witnessed during that time, what stands out here in this passage about the life of the church? Sorry? They sold everything. Okay, but why, why did they do that? For the needy. For each other. What else do you notice about the church? Every day. That's what stands out throughout this passage is they're spending time together. Lots of time together. Not just on the Sunday worship. They're meeting in each other's homes. They're going to the synagogue. They truly have a shared common life together. Not only in communion, but in meals. I think my, my favorite verse from this passage is crosses between verses 46 and 47, where Luke records, he says, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They were eating together. There was gladness that filled their hearts. And that led them to praise. The two were interconnected, their worship of God and their fellowship with each other. So the, the critical question we have to ask is, is that us? Does Rockland Community Church look like this? Now, of course, you know, we're not going to the temple, and you know, there's a bunch of superficial things where obviously we're not going to look like that, but the heart of it, of that tight fellowship together, of sharing meals with one another, of having that gladness of fellowship, is that us? I don't think we're, we're really living up to this, to the fullness of this, if, if, I'm, if I'm being honest. And this, this starts with myself. It begins, you know, if I see a problem in the church as a leader, I have to look at myself in the mirror and say, as a leader, in what ways have I been coming up 
short. Now, as I was preparing this sermon, it was funny, though, because I think God's already on the move in terms of dealing with this weakness that I'm seeing. Because I'm hearing things here and there of people getting together and approaching that sort of fellowship that we see there in Acts 2. And I'm overjoyed about that. And so this morning, what I want to do is kind of just put some more wind behind the sails and going that direction. Yes, I, I can admit as a, as a leader, I haven't lived up to that myself. And I think this is, you know, there's certain pros to being a cultural insider. You know, I'm, I'm from here. I'm literally, I'm literally from this church. There's certain advantages to that. But there's also cons from being from the same culture because you share some of the same weaknesses. I went to school down in the south at Tacoa Falls College in Georgia. And what's the south known for but southern hospitality, right? No one talks about New England hospitality. I don't know. I, I, you know, it, there, there's some tr- truth behind that. It, you know, it does make us laugh. But as the church... That's something that we don't want to be true about the church. Because if we are not being hospitable, if we are, not, and not just to outsiders, not just an outsider things, but with each other, then there's nothing that's really all that striking about our lives. There's not going to be anything that causes people to kind of pause and say, wow, you're kind of living a very questionable life based on what I'm, what I'm seeing, because we won't be any different than anyone else around us. We'll just look like the, the culture around us. And we might insist all we want that, no, I am truly different than my neighbors, but they just won't see it. And this idea of living questionable lives as followers of Jesus Christ is of critical importance to our witness, Michael Frost, um, in his book, Surprise the World, The Five Habits of Highly Missional People, makes this observation about how the early church really got up and and running in terms of their witness to to the Roman Empire. He says, while evangelists and apologists such as Peter and Paul were proclaiming the gospel and defending its integrity in an era of polytheism and pagan superstition... Which is, you know, those are the things that we think about when we think about evangelism, doing that kind of things. He says, hundreds of thousands of ordinary believers were infiltrating every part of society and living the kind of questionable lives they evoked curiosity about the Christian message. They surprised the empire with their unlikely lifestyle. And a big critical portion of that lifestyle was what we read in Acts 2, the fellowship that they shared with one another, especially as it crossed class boundaries, as it crossed racial boundaries. It made a Roman society that was so hierarchical pay attention, that these people truly cared for one another. Now, our church, I think, has done some really great philanthropy through the food pantry, We've helped our neighbors in in various ways over the years. And I think we do strive to be attentive 
to needs around us. And these are all good and necessary, necessary, and we must keep doing them because that's what it means to love our neighbors. It's a critical part of our witness. But at the same time, too, I think we can recognize that it might not be particularly surprising to some of our neighbors because that's what they expect churches to do. And I think, unfortunately, some people kind of take the attitude when they see people like us helping others and they're like, okay, they're from a church. They just think, okay, there goes another 501c3. That's just, that's just what those nonprofits do. So we have to ask, well, is there something more that's missing here that, that would really make us truly questionable to those around us? And I, and I think it, it gets back to this fellowship piece, and it goes back to this basic characteristic that Jesus identifies for his disciples. In John 13, 34 through 35, he says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this everyone will know that you, know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. They'll know we're the disciples of Christ. Not if we love outsiders. That's true. We do need to do that. I want to emphasize that. We do need to do that. But the critical piece here is our love for one another, our fellowship with one another. And what we see in Acts 2 is love and action, sharing meals in homes, caring for each other's needs. It's a picture of real honest-to-goodness community. In broader American society, we just don't see much of this. So many people in our society today have become atomized. They've become isolated from other people. There's lots of lonely people around us. No one should be lonely in the church. Now we have tried to do some trellis work on this end of encouraging fellowship. We have men's and women's nights, and I, I, I urge you to sign up for those after the service or to text that church text line. We do the men's and women's nights. We, we do the potlucks. We do all those things. All important and good. But it's not the same as inviting someone into your home or grabbing a bite to eat with them. We all know this. We all know that there's a difference between those two things. You need both, but there's a difference. And we need more of that. We need more of this sharing with each other, sharing our lives with each other outside of the property of 212 Rockland Road. Our church, I think, has many strengths, and we, many strengths, and I've, I've seen us grow I, over my past 10 years here. I've been so encouraged, and I, and I told, I, I've told Sarah before, you know, when we were thinking about kind of our, our future here, and this is going back years, I said, I want to be here if the people remain committed to wanting to always improve and strive to be the church that they're supposed to be. And you've all always done that. You've always had this heart of, we want to we be faithful to the call that Christ has placed upon us. 
And I believe that God's already placing it on your heart that we need to grow stronger in this area. But it can be a struggle, admittedly, because, again, we're coming from a culture that's just like, I'm going to stay in my little corner, my little world, and I'm not going to rub shoulders with other people, have those, those common meals together. But if we don't want to be with one another, that's a real problem. And it's a problem that we need to pray through. Unfortunately, I think one of the things in our society, we, we kind of make this justification in our minds that, that, well, if I don't want to do something, then that justifies me not doing it because I shouldn't do anything that I don't want to do. The not wanting to do something is a problem. But as Christians, we all recognize that there's a lot of things that I don't want to do, but that doesn't justify me not doing them. What it means is that God needs to transform my heart. And so I think our transformation here, if we're lacking that desire, begins with prayer. And as we come to God in prayer, he, he, he's going to begin moving, I think, within our, within our church here. Moving so that we will invest the time and emotion, even the money, into being this sort of acts to community. And so unlike kind of the past two Vision Sundays that I've, I've had here at the church, I'm not introducing any new program. Because you can't program relationships. I'm just giving you a call and saying that this is our, our focus and our emphasis this year. We're calling for a cultural overhaul. For everyone to step up and lead and say, we need to become this sort of community. This is our next step. So we've looked at our fellowship and our community life, but there's a whole other half on that foundation, which is worship. So let's look at that. I want us to meditate on John 3, verses 26 through 30. The connection with worship here won't be immediately obvious, but I think it will become more clear once... I explain. So, here in John 3, you've got the disciples of John the Baptist coming to John with a complaint, with a concern. In John 3, 26, they say, Rabbi, that man, meaning Jesus, that Jesus, (laughs) who is with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, look, He is baptizing, and everyone is going to him. To this, John replied, A person can only receive what is given them from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I am not the Messiah, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. So the disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus, not to Jesus, they come to John because they're concerned about Jesus getting in the way. John the Baptist had kind of developed a following of his own, and now they're noticing more people are starting to follow Jesus. 
John, John's response to them makes clear that his concern is completely the opposite. He's not concerned with Jesus getting in the way of him. He's concerned of getting in the way of Jesus. Because John's whole, whole calling and purpose is just to prepare the way for Jesus. To prepare the way for the Messiah. If the disciples of Christ are the church, and the church is the bride of Christ, and what John's saying here is that he has no plans on winking at the bride. Now, you know, I'm not John the Baptist, and no other pastor is John the Baptist, but to kind of bring this into the present day, as your pastor, as a pastor, I don't want to be winking, getting in the way between you and Christ. Now, the thing about being a pastor, of being any church leader, is it has some upfront requirements. You do have to be at the, at the front leading the congregation. But if I can become less so that Christ shines brighter, then I want to do that. And it's my conviction that Christ shines brightest for all to see when the body of Christ as a whole is standing up and all the gifts that the Spirit has endowed to that body are being exercised. We read recently in 1 Peter 2, verses 4-5, through 5, about the priesthood of all believers. And I think that has some relevance here in thinking about this. Remember that Peter says this, and he's talking more about something more than just Sunday worship, but it certainly includes Sunday worship. He says, As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's not just me who's a priest of God. All of you who believe are priests of God through Jesus Christ. And this compels us to kind of examine our philosophy of worship here. Because unfortunately, I think there's a tendency, especially in the evangelical church in America, for people to tend to think that they are the audience. Because there's a stage up here. So they come to church, there's a stage, and especially in some of the bigger churches where they have a full, you know, a full band and lots of people on stage, they can tend to think, like, they're the audience, these people are performing for us. That's not what worship is. That's not what church worship is. You are not the audience. God is the audience. And we are all bringing our worship before him. And so with that kind of philosophy in mind, that God is the audience, you know, we are not the audience, what that calls us to do is to fully participate in the ways that God has, has called us to. And that will look different for each person. Some will be called to lead up front in various capacities. Others will be called to lead in singing or just participate heartily in 
the congregational singing, even if you don't have the best voice. It's a holy noise for God. God, God loves it. I think even, even with greeting, I think greeting even plays a part in that worship of welcoming people in and putting them in this frame of mind to come and worship God. So my, my desire is that when someone, especially when someone new shows up here, when you have someone who's seeking Jesus and they come here, when they walk in our doors and join us for worship, I don't want them to really see me. I don't want them to think this is about Pastor Tom. I hope that they see the church. They see Christ in his body worshiping their God. I believe that God desires a future when there will be weeks when I'm sitting alongside you in the pew. Not because I was on vacation, not because I was just too busy that week, but because God is being glorified by others leading, by others preaching. And I think that will be a benefit to you, and I know it will be a benefit to me because I need the ministry of the body too. Because like you, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I need to hear the preaching of the word. And unfortunately, at pastors, one of the great temptations that we have is thinking like, I don't, I don't need that because I'm studied and I know all these things. But I need to hear the gospel preached too. To get there, it, it will take some time. And it will take some trellis work. Um, people signing up to do things and organizing. And I'm so grateful that we've brought Emily on staff because she, she helps make a, that all possible. But ultimately, beyond any kind of trellis organizing stuff, that will only happen if you share my desire for Christ to be greater to be glorified by his body corporately. In closing, I want to share one of my fears with you, followed by my hope. The truth is is that I am afraid of asking things of other people. It's much easier for me to avoid my fear and do something myself or not ask at all. I am afraid of of the disappointment of hearing no and not knowing what to do next. Much more than this, I am afraid of making someone uncomfortable or making them feel burnt out by another request of their time and energy. Maybe you you feel that way too. On the, on the flip side, maybe you also are afraid of saying no because you don't want to disappoint others. I can say that I tend to be that way too. I don't like saying no to people. If we are to enjoy fellowship with each other, we need to be unafraid of hearing or saying no. We need to be honest with each other. 
Now, if we're honest, I think we'll often say that we are busy and tired and tired of being busy. I think that's completely true. So here's my hope. I hope you're not content with that. I hope you're not content with being so tired and busy that you don't find rest in the company of your church family. Now, sometimes you do need time alone. Jesus did that. Jesus wasn't always with people. He took time to go off and be by himself. We need to be able to do that as believers. On the other hand, you may also need to drop some things and have different priorities in your life. Think about how questionable that might be to those around you when they notice, okay, this person's having different priorities than me and a lot of the other people around me. But I think more than issues of scheduling, it's a matter of the heart. If we don't love one another, we will always see each other as burdens and count our time together as an expense rather than a privilege. I encourage you to think about that when you think about being involved with church things or getting together with people. Am I thinking about this as an expense or am I thinking of this as a privilege? To change your heart, you need to do two things. Start praying to God for God to change your heart. And second, run ahead of your desires with your actions. Part of the way that God will change your heart is by your fellowship with your church family. God has three ways of acting upon us. He wants them all held together. God acts upon us through the Bible, through his word. God acts upon us through the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit, which is sanctifying us day by day. God transforms us through the local church. When the fires of all three are brought together, your heart, my heart, begins to soften so that we can become more shaped more like Jesus. I hope that you will share my passion for elevating Jesus in our worship together. Of course, not everyone's called to preach or to lead, but some of us are. And all of us are called to rally together in singing God's praises. Don't let fear stop you when God is calling you. I, I have all the hope, all the expectation that by next year, this time, by August 2024, we'll be seeing more of Jesus and less of me because more of you will be exercising the gifts of the Spirit in our worship together. Now, after the service, we're, we're going to be praying for these things in state of pray, so I encourage you to please stick around for that. But we'll also pray right now for this. So let's, let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father,
We thank you for your mercy towards us. We thank you for your patience with us. That even when we're not everything maybe we're supposed to be, you still love us. And you continue to work in our midst. And that, Father, when you show us what you want the church to be in your word, you don't hand this down to us as something that's supposed to be some great burden. You give this to us as a gift, as a grace. Father, we thank you for each other, for the brothers and sisters that you've given us. And Father, we do pray that as Jesus commanded, we would love one another. And that love would would truly emerge in our actions, in our lives, Father, so that we wouldn't just say, like, yeah, I feel okay about someone, I like them, but that we would actually show that love by spending time together, opening up our homes, grabbing someone to spend a little time with them. Father, help us to, to be a really questionable community here that's different than the rest of the New England culture around us. And Father, we pray that you would be glorified by our worship here, that we would remember again and again that you are the audience, we are not. Father, we pray that you would gift every member of our congregation with the gifts they need to participate in worship and in the ministry of the body during the week, but thinking here, God, about the worship We pray that when people walk in here, Father, they would see Christ. That they wouldn't see any one individual. That they would see Jesus Christ. And that they would put their faith in Him just as we have. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hey there, Pastor Tom here. I hope you enjoyed this sermon that I offer to Rockland Community Church. Rockland Community Church is located at 212 Rockland Road in North Situate, Rhode Island, just around the bend from Situate Public High School. We invite you to join us in person or virtually this Sunday as we continue our series through 1 and 2 Peter. It's our joy to welcome you into our community.